Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to tournament poker strategy. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Fez Buddy and Killing Bird. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I am a Killing Bird. I'm here, as always, with Ron Fez Buddy. What is up, my friend? Nothing much. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Happy to uh, happy to be getting busting on another podcast. We had a little delay. I know we were going to do it at one point um, before Irene came rolling through, and then you were without power for like a week. <laughs> uh, God, don't remind me. Yeah, I was. Uh, I'm in Long Island, and uh, you know, Irene rolled through, like you said, and it. You know, it wasn't as bad as a lot of people thought in terms of its, you know, its, its impact and the way it hit. But the way I, I don't know this about, I don't know, I'm not a meteorologist. At all, but <laughs> obviously, I watched a lot of weather coverage during Irene, and apparently, and I don't know if it was isolated to just Irene or this is normal for hurricanes. I, like I said, I don't know, but the strength of the winds were to the the west. Uh, I'm sorry, the east of the, um, you know, the the eye of the hurricane, and mm-hmm. so. You know, New Jersey and got and Manhattan got a ton of rain, and Long Island just got sick winds, and it really, um, you know, knocked out 500,000 homes. Uh, you know, in terms of power, and it took me and my family a week to get it back. And and we live in a place that we actually have a well because we don't have city water because it's just too expensive to hook up. I don't live, uh, I don't live in the woods, but it feels like it sometimes. Yeah. And you know, we our well is run by electricity, so we didn't have water either. So it was just like was torture man with two kids oh, geez. stuff was just it was torture uh, so it was it was that it was a combination of that uh, some family vacation stuff um and stuff so you know that irene hit when we were gonna do the podcast so a little delayed we are back yep and we have a good one today yeah really looking forward uh to today's podcast um we're gonna have uh, mike leah join us um he is new to the tp family um but very well received so far, so really looking forward to uh, to getting him on the show. I think it's going to be a really good chat. Yeah, he's um, he's got quite a resume. Um, he started playing online, uh, but he transitioned to a live pro as well, and um, he's got over three point two point three million in winnings. And I think he's one of the few people who have over a million online and a million live. Uh, yeah, pretty sick. Yeah, and I know that uh, that he made a run at, at Player of the Year um, in. 2009, I guess it was. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's a pretty sick accomplishment. We'll obviously talk to him a little bit about that. Right. Um, but before we bring Mike on the show, um, how things been poker-wise for you? Yeah, you know, I, um, I've been playing more in the past, well, since I got power back. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I was on vacation, so, you know, obviously Black Friday hit, um, wasn't playing a lot then um and then there was you know the world series and a lot of live stuff and then vacation so i hadn't been playing a lot in the past you know the previous two months but the past two weeks or so even before irene really um and then irene obviously break but i've been playing a lot more on on the merge network um sort of almost getting in a little bit of routine where i'm almost i'm not playing as many tables as i used to because uh the thing about the way i'm treating poker right now is I've kind of had a revelation 
about poker, and I, I think I've hinted to this before along the way on the podcast, where um, I love poker and I, I love playing poker, and I want to think more when I'm playing, and I don't want to be robotic and just I'm not playing to squeak out a three percent ROI over four thousand tournaments. I mean, I have a day job; it's not my only source of income, um, and I think. You know, as shitty as Black Friday has been, for me as someone who loves playing poker, uh, the fact that Merge doesn't offer the wide variety and it's sort of meet, made me treat poker more like a hobby um, has been actually great for my game. Um, I've been playing on Merge more regularly, uh, but playing, you know, four or five tournaments at a time and then, you know, almost always getting deep in something and then really, you know, early stages focus on the biggest buy-in, you know, and think multi-street, not just play robotic, and then late, really focus on what I'm playing, and, and I shut down the web browsers, I don't surf, I don't listen to, you know, distracting music, um, and just really enjoying playing poker, so, you know, Black Friday is awful, but from, you know, you know, if, if we had, if we could get poker back tomorrow, I would almost say Black Friday really didn't, you know, was actually a good thing for me, but I know it's probably right. a lot longer than that. Um, but yeah, been been playing a lot and actually doing really well. I uh, I shipped three tournaments in four days, four sessions on Merge. Um, wow. Obviously not thousand player fields, but you know I think one had a couple hundred players. Uh, I, I think all of them had a couple hundred players. A twenty-seven, a three turbo, and um, what was the other one? I think two three turbos. I can't even remember. Yeah. <laughs> so awful. <laughs> Either way, winning is good. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice. definitely got my ROI up on that, and you know, some good final table, you know, stuff. And I actually picked out one of the hands from the tournaments uh, to talk about later. How about you? Nice. How about you? I know um, you're crushing think, it on March, aren't you? Yeah, things have been good. I um I took a little bit of a break too after uh, after I got back from Vegas. Um, you know, as some of the people listening know, I was out there almost the whole summer. So when I got back, I was, I don't want to say burnt out, but I was just, you know, ready to spend some time with the family. I think and, everyone's burnt out when they come back from the World Series. Yeah, I think it comes natural. Yeah. You know, it's like, you just play that much poker, especially live where it's really grueling and, um, and, and the variance takes even more of a toll than it maybe normally does. Oh, like, it sure does. You just, yeah, you just require a little bit of a break. So I just took a little time and I, I did some, not heavy duty traveling, but just trips with my family and stuff like that. And, um, uh, but, but then I think once I settled back in and decided to get back to the grind, I, I really got kind of back into it pretty heavy and have been playing probably three or four sessions a week. Right. Um, and it's been great. I've had, I think six winning sessions, although not like massive, huge wins, but just to build a book winning session after winning session is awesome. I think I've had six or seven in a row. That's great for your uh, confidence and it's great. It makes makes poker fun when you can get deep and win obviously kind of an understanding. Yeah. But yeah, and I think two nights ago I had three final tables in one night and a yeah. and a t- and a tenth place finish. So I just like, okay, I think I'm I think I'm back and I, yeah. I'm still I'm still making the occasional mistake and um I'm trying to plug some of those leaks and solve some of those things. But um but yeah I feel good with how I'm playing and I'm looking forward to continuing uh continuing the grind. And I think I've also found a nice schedule like when to start and what tournaments I like to play yeah. and when to stop registering and it took a little while to adjust to the like you said to the merge um schedule because things are a little bit different. Um you know, it used to be so easy like you knew exactly when to start yeah. and which you know which tournaments you were gonna play that night and it just took me a while to feel that out. Yeah, I gotta it. say I hate their lobby sort of functionality because I feel like I'm never I'm never quite sure if I'm in everything I want to be in like I'm I'm always checking to see if I miss something like I don't know and it's I don't know if I don't know if it's the fonts or I don't know if, I don't know what it is about it but I just always 
like I spend too much time looking at the lobby, I think, um, yeah. as I'm registering for my stuff for the night. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not intuitive and it's, it's just, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. It's amazing how often like all of a sudden I'll look over and I'll see like, Oh, the, the $33 is already yeah. 20 minutes in a late reg. What, yeah. how did I miss that? Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. It doesn't sort like it sorts kind of in chronological order default wise, but then it, it's not perfectly. I don't know. It's all right. it's weird. It's, it's a bit annoying, but, but yeah, I've been, uh, I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, you know, I'd love to have my stars and FTP back, but for now, um, this is, this is okay. And, uh, you know, in line with our guest tonight, um, watching his videos and, you know, slowing down the number of tables, uh, his videos have been great for that, for that, that sort of mindset because he's a thinking player and, it's force, you know, I'm trying to force myself to think a lot more when I play. And so, um, his videos coupled with, with that, you know, with, with less tables are making this, you know, serious hobby in, as enjoyable as it's kind of been, um, in a while. Yeah. Um, so I can't wait to talk to him. Yeah. One thing that's been a lot of fun too, that I wanted to mention is, um, the chat room has started to pick back up a little bit on TP and I've uh, been spending some time in there during sessions, especially later when you're down to one or two tables. And, yeah. um, it's been fun to talk hands with some of the guys in there and stuff. So I, you know, encourage any of our members who are listening to this to, uh, if you're, you know, if you're playing, come, come jump and chat. It seems like a lot of people in there are starting to discover the joys of merge as well, because yeah. as we've talked about in the past, it is pretty soft. So, yeah, you know, I uh, actually haven't, haven't been in there in a while, um, but I'll take your word for it. And I'll I'll jump in next time, next 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 session I'm playing. Yeah, it's been pretty cool. Um, you know, definitely some regulars starting to show up in there, and I, I know like uh, Rivermen one two three has been in there quite a bit, and he's just been crushing he crushes as well. So. Sure. Yeah, it's pretty sick. He's yeah. he's definitely uh, doing something right over there. It seems like there's a, a sweat thread, or I, I follow him on Twitter as well, and I see a lot of um, updates from him that he's at this final table or that final table, and uh, it's pretty interesting to talk hands with him and some of the other guys, so I yeah, sure. uh, definitely encourage people to jump in there. Cool. All right. Great. So let's, uh, I know we got a lot to talk to Mike about, so let's let's just uh, jump right into it. We'll take a quick break, and then we will come back with Mike Leah. Tears. This is Casey Big Dog Pocket Fives Jarzebeck from TournamentPokerEdge.com. If you've been looking for a trading site dedicated exclusively to tournament poker, then look no further. Tournament Poker Edge is only $23.95 per month with no initial sign-up fee and we post a new training video every weekday. You also find poker-related articles, blogs, and very active strategy forums. We even offer you the ability to upload your own video for others to discuss. So head on over to TournamentPokerEdge.com and find out why it's quickly becoming the destination for tournament poker players looking to take their game to the next level. TournamentPokerEdge.com Welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Time to bring in our feature guest for this episode. Uh, new to the TPE family, Mike Leah goes online as Go Leafs Go A. So welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Hello. Good. Hey, welcome to the show, man. We are um, 
thrilled to have you on. Thrilled to have you aboard uh, TPE as a as a pro. I, you're the first non sort of original founding member um, pro that we've had on the show. So um, you know, welcome to the <laughs> maiden voyage for us as as, as bringing on some some new guests um, to, to the program. Thanks for doing this with us. So Mike, why don't you uh, why don't you start out since you are new to the TPE family and talk a little bit about how you got into poker and kind of what brought you to this point in your career. Sure. Um, I guess I had a pretty uh, casual beginning. I just I had a couple of coworkers that that played really recre- recreationally on the side. Um, I I kind of ran a, a a sales company, so we traveled on the road a lot. So they were playing poker, you know, every now and then, and I'd sit in with them, just playing some little, uh, you know, ten dollar home game kind of thing. Right. And one of them mentioned that that they played online sometimes and. Um, that kind of was the beginning to my, I guess, experience playing poker. So I played online sit and goes here and there just when I had some spare time from work and, um, really, really casually $10, $20 just kind of for fun. Yeah. And, um, I'd never played a major tournament or probably anything more than a $20 buy-in and I satellited into the Sunday million and final table it and won about $20,000. That's the sound of a bunch of people throwing their, their iPads. Their, their yeah. iPads. <laughs> uh, so that was on a Sunday. On the, I think it was the Tuesday, I final tabled the nightly 100 grand and, and on the following Saturday, I got second place in the Saturday 320 for about <laughs> 15000 And I made, a, wow. you know, like a yearly wage in about a week. And suffice to say, I was kind of hooked on poker from there. Was that? How, how long ago was that? That was 2000 and 2006, I think. Sick, yeah. so I just wanted to get the year right. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, it was, it was early... 2006, probably like February, March. Did you give a lot back pretty much oh, after yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, all of it. <laughs> well, I ask uh, that because you tell me you, you satellited into the Sunday Million, then you played immediately the 100K and the 320. You were already playing high stakes like within three days. Yeah, my, my background is, is so different than most of the people that will be listening to this and, and using your site. And a lot of the people that I've worked with and coached, it, it's – it's it's weird because I had a really good paying job and I won a whole bunch of money, so I never I never started um, from the ground up. Right. Um, I kind of learned the hard way. I gave a whole bunch of money back, thinking that I knew what I was doing, and until I kind of realized that I uh, didn't know what I was doing so well, and <laughs> and kind of worked hard at, at learning it sort of backwards. What did you do to 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 get better? And when you when you realize, okay, you know, everyone goes through that where. They get lucky. I mean, I got lucky in my first, you know. I mean, I did the same thing. I don't have the resume, obviously, as you and the success as you, but I got, I got lucky after, you know, six months of just, you know, playing ten dollars, twenties, depositing, then winning a the nightly seventy k, which I guess was the fifty k at that time. And yeah. I had really, like, I look back and I really had no idea what I was doing. I still don't know that much what I'm doing, but I really had no idea. But I realized at a certain point, once I found two plus two, and I started talking to poker friends that. Okay, I really don't know what I'm doing. What was it for you that that helped you understand that you didn't know what you were doing? Uh, just the fact that I had to start depositing money, and then <laughs> I I kind of planned my schedule around when poker stars would let me deposit more because they had a maximum on how much you could deposit. <laughs> so, kind of got to the point where you know this 
kind of fun hobby of mine is costing me a lot of money. I should. Uh, Were you still working, or did you? Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I still had a had a really good full time job at that point. Okay. Um, that was like through through 2006. I sort of gave all the money back and sort of had a, you know, a uh, a hard learning curve, I guess. Yeah. Um, 2007. Um, I guess through that year, I I started playing a lot more and probably, I guess, took the game a bit more serious instead of just you know, logging in and playing and not you know caring so much. I I I guess 2007 was sort of my grinding year. Um, yeah. I had a, had a pretty successful year on on stars that year. I, I can't really remember. It, it seems like forever ago, but I know I finished in the top 100 on the the TLB on stars in 2007. Mm-hmm. And that was that was with a full time job. So yeah, I was, was going to say that it's incredibly hard to do it with a full time job. Yeah, that was just grinding the nightly hundred grand and the and the fifty fifty every night, and then playing Sundays. Right. Um, so probably playing like maybe two or three evenings during the week, and then and then Sundays. And, and so, then who did you? How did you figure out? You know, I mean, aside from just playing, or was that basically it for you? How did you? Yeah, like I think I think it's important for everyone to understand what how they learn like how they learn best, whether it was in school or with a job or with a sport or, or with poker. Um, I'm kind of, I'm just sort of a, a stubborn person that really believes myself better than anyone else. Um, so my, my learning was mostly through my own mistakes. Um, it's, I probably would have learned a lot quicker if I had sort of a, uh, I guess if I knew about, you know, two plus two and stuff back then, or if I had sort of a poker circle, none of my friends really played poker. So I had no one to talk about it with. So basically it was just kind of beating my head against the wall and learning from my own mistakes. Um, you know, later in my, uh, in my poker career, the last couple of years, you know, the huge circle of poker friends that I've gotten and being able to talk about hands and then, right. you know, different websites, it, it's obviously, uh, it, it helps you learn and see other viewpoints a, a lot better. But, um, right. But for me back then, it was basically just kind of on my own figuring out the game. Gotcha. Yeah. And and who are some of those guys that you talk hands with nowadays, who, who um, you kind of respect their game or learn from or whatever? God, there's 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 so many. I sort of have my. Again, I'm I'm probably one of the the few guys that sort of, you know, I'm a live pro, but I'm an online pro. I kind of have right. sort of in both circles. Um, so I sort of have my live group of guys that I, you know share hotel rooms and go to dinner with when I'm traveling on the road playing. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a circle that's getting bigger all the time, but I guess some of the early guys were like, you know, Dave Fox, Matt Brady, um, and then, you know, Chris Klodnicki and, you know, I can go on and on. Yeah. yeah. Um, online, I guess for a lot of them, it was like the Canadian guys, you know, back a few years ago that we sort of all, sort of bonded and you know it's kind of how canadians are we are we always sort of pull for each other and uh <laughs> i don't know what it is <laughs> but so uh, we love canadians our yeah. you know we have a bunch on our roster we they're, they're great. yeah like K- casey and i go back a few years and um obviously he was having success back then so we you know we we've we've always talked through through the few through the years um and shared hands and different things and you know um backing adventures and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> oh, really? Um, I didn't know you guys were... That must have been fun. Uh, yeah, we, yeah. Anyway, I, yeah, anyway, it's a long story. Yeah, I um, 
we'll save that. We'll save that for yeah. a drunken TPE live podcast yeah, someday. Exactly. <laughs> Next year's World Series. How, so how did you? Um, how did you? Your your origins as a poker player seem to be firmly online, but yeah. you have had a ton of success live, and, and you just called yourself a live pro first before you called yourself an online pro. So how did you make that trend? How did how did that evolve, and how did you make right. that transition so my, to a live game? My live, it started like that same 2006 when I had that little run when I first started playing. Um, I won a, uh, a, a package to the World Series of Poker main event. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to stay with my kind of, you know, luck sacking beginning, I, uh, I busted from the main event on day one, mm-hmm. but I went and played a, uh, like a second chance tournament at the Bellagio 1K buy-in that huh. same day that I busted the main event. Wow. You must and have busted I, early. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't good at folding aces back then. Yeah. yeah. Um, Was it 30,000, 30,000 ships to start back in 2006? Uh, that's the now? I don't no, I'm, it would have been 20,000 then. Yeah, okay, all right. Um, so anyway, so I, I went and chopped the Bellagio 1K for, I can't remember what I got, but probably a, like approximately like 25,000. Right. And then two nights later, I played it again and, and chopped it for about 65,000. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when you, when you I, win, I left. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't stop playing. When you're on a tier, you, don't, you should never stop playing until you lose. So, so I uh, so I left Vegas with almost a hundred thousand bucks that summer. My first time playing live, so that was my first little live experience. Nice. Um, I I proceeded to give probably most of that. Like I, you know, with the money I won online and that money, I like I bought a lot of stuff. I you know I I bought a boat and I finished my basement and I you know I had some fun, did some things, but then you know the rest of it was pretty much all given back to the poker community over the next while. Um, but um, going back to how I kind of became a live pro, I guess I. I've, I'm very competitive and kind of poker became my, my new sport when I, when I stopped competing in, in wrestling and things like that. Um, so I, I just, you know, I wanted to be the best and I guess, you know, the live pros always get the, you know, the TV commercials and probably more of the glory, right? So I, I kind of just had my headset that I wanted to be, you know, you know, Daniel Negreanu, Phil Ivey kind of thing, right? right. Um, so I, you know, I, I traveled around 2007, played the odd tournament and got to meet, you know, a few of the live guys that became good friends of mine. And, um, I'm trying to think when it was, um, I guess the summer of 2008 must have been before that trying to think of the timeline but basically i took a two-month sabbatical from my job to to go to vegas for the whole summer of 08 and play the world series mm-hmm. and i ended up um you know making a deal with a couple guys and securing a uh, like a long-term good backing deal that that gave me enough confidence and stability to be able to you know to leave my my job and my career that i worked at, worked at for 16 years wow and from that point on i basically you know Poker was brand new to me, and I, you know, it's all I wanted to do was to play. So I just, I, you know, I had no girlfriend, no kids, no wife, or nothing. So I just decided I was going to basically travel for the next 16 months and just, you know, put everything I had into the game to to see how good I can be and to sort of see if it's what I want to do for for the rest of my life or for just that 16 months or for five years or or what. So I basically just wanted to give it everything I had and just to see what I can do and sort of test myself 
Well, it looks like that um, turned out the way you, you wanted it to. Yeah, so <laughs> for the 16 months, I basically just traveled the live circuit through the U.S. and played in every tournament I could. And I, you know, I don't know how many times I went home in the in the 16 months, but maybe only like five or six times for like a week or two to kind of take a break. Wow. Were you playing online as well at that time? Or just Not very life? much, just because I was traveling so much and playing just about like every prelim at every series. Um, I probably still played most Sundays. I don't think I've ever missed a Sunday for for a little live tournament. Right, right, um, right. I can't really remember too much. My goal that year was was to win uh, the card player player of the year. Um, I I wrote a, wrote an article you know in December that that year, and uh, that was kind of my my goal. So right. I ended up fall, falling a little bit short, finishing tenth. But yeah, I was right. I was right in the running until the World Series, which I had a horrible experience that that year in uh it was at 2009 and probably ruined ruined the end of my year but ah. well i uh i look forward to the day that i fail and finish 10th in the player of the year race <laughs> <laughs> uh, now would you say that you know, okay so you started <laughs> online you transitioned to live um obviously as you know, as you gained more experience and you played more poker and you talked to more people, your game evolved. Um, would you say that, you know, there's a big difference in your game online as opposed to live? You know, are your strengths, do you have different strengths in different venues or do your strengths carry through? I, I think, I think my, my strengths carry through. I think, um, like I, I'm much better now at being able to adjust to every situation that I'm in. Um, whether it's an online tournament or a live tournament, and I'm just getting better at, I guess, just understanding my surroundings and not having a a set plan of action or a way that I play online or a way that I play live. Right. Um, just adjusting to, you know, the flow of the game and the people around me and what they're doing. Yeah. Um. I I don't I don't know I don't know if I really like uh, change my game or even like um, even whether I, I don't consciously think whether I'm playing online or live, I don't think for the most part. Right. Um, you know, the only difference obviously is live. You can get, you know, a lot of live tells, which I've gotten a much, much better at over the last, you know, couple of years. Whereas when I first started playing live, I sort of just trusted my, my online type of tells, like timing tells and betting patterns and things like that. Right. Um, whereas now over the last year, I've you know really started to, pay attention to physical tells and, and do a lot more talking where I can try and get someone to, to kind of give away what, what they may have, which right. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have, wouldn't have done a couple of years ago. Yeah, Even I, when I had my, my good year in 2009, I was basically just, you know, kind of playing sort of online. Right. Right. You were just, yeah. Right. And you weren't taking it. Well, I'll say that, um, your videos, uh, yeah, you're, well, first of all, for those of you who don't know, you know, Mike, his, his series just, just finished, it just completed. It's a, it's a five-parter. He plays mid-stakes, um, and he makes a final table, so it's a, it's a really interesting video. But I think your background and, and your, you know, your extensive experience playing live, um, really shines through in your videos and makes your videos exceptional. Um, because you, you know, you play two, three tables, and m- almost more so than in any videos I've really watched recently, you are talking about game flow dynamics and the pacing of the game and right. stopping stopping the sort of machine of online poker from right. you, know, you know overwhelming um, the information that you ha- that you're getting in front of you and 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 observing and 
effect influencing your decision. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm phrasing that right, but what I got from your video was, you know, think more, right? <laughs> just th- right. think more. You just stop. Don't play automatic. Um, observe everything that's going on. You look at the people on the left, look at the people on the right, and see, you know, what their state of their game is at that point and adjust to that. That's what I got, and I felt like that was a live player sort of trait coming through on your videos would you would you agree with that when when you were doing the video did you feel that or you know review? yeah well like that's you know I've, I've never i've never enjoyed playing a lot of tables and anytime i've tried i've just you know i guess failed would be the correct word or you know my my results definitely are worse the more tables i play and and i also don't in, don't enjoy it but I get like it to each their own, right? I guess yeah. it's, it's important to understand what what works for you. But um, I like I enjoy the game aspect of poker, and you know, and kind of paying attention to what's going on around me, and and playing against my opponents instead of just playing like a robot. And right. and you know, sometimes you know I play pretty standard, and sometimes I get really creative. But you know, I. I'd like to have the you know flexibility to and be able to adjust to I guess what, what's going on around me and definitely playing live when you're just sitting there for hours and hours only playing one table with the same people that you can see definitely probably a lot of that comes comes yeah. from that for sure. Yeah, well I saw I mean you were doing things that that made me feel like you were really you know trying to understand your table and the people at your table you were you were looking at how many tables they were playing yeah. you know so cuz that that's giving you more information about that person which makes up for the other information you can't get because you can't see them right that's right and you know then that's you know when you're playing live you know you want to try and pick up as much information as you can and you know when you're online you don't have the same avenue but you can still try and do whatever you can to to learn as much about your opponent as possible right. and how many tables they're playing, what stakes they're playing, um, you know, and then, of course, obviously paying attention to, to the game flow and whether they just won a big pot or lost a big pot or, right. you know, tilted or, or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I, I think my, my game's ever-evolving, and, you know, the more I play and the more I understand, you know, it's it's so much more important to know what, your opponent is doing and trying to figure out what they have instead of, you know, worrying about what cards you have for, you know, a lot of the time anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah so, you know, I, I think we're kind of getting a sense for it, but, but, but would you, would you mind talking a little bit about your style and, and sort of, you know, how you think about the game and, you know, maybe what you're known for with that? Sure. Yeah. Like I, I think if you go back to the end of 2008 and 2009, and talk to anyone that I was playing with, you know, two things they talk about. One, I was probably the most aggressive player um, on on the live circuit the end of 2008, 2009. Um, you know, I there was many, many tournaments where I three bet my entire range and mm-hmm. and just you know, it it wasn't really that common back then. Um, some of it came from from online, and some of it just came from you know, me just trying to, you know, be a terror and a show off, and I grew a mo- I grew a mohawk, and I was kind of rebelling against the job that I had for uh, right. For right. All those years. I am not the guy with the 16 year job. I'm this poker guy, yeah. right? Um, but you know, the the more I played live, um, you know, I I realized that my biggest edge was 
not playing, you know, huge ginormous spots pre-flop, like, you know, taking those marginal spots like online because players were just so bad live compared to online. Um, so I started kind of small, a small ball approach at the beginning of 2009, which, you know, kind of started with the min raise and basically, um, I was known as, they never really came up with a good nickname because they all are stupid, but um, <laughs> Min Rays Mike or, or whatever, just basically the guy with the mohawk that Min Rays was basically how everyone right. just me because they're just what it wasn't being done back then. Um, I Min Rays my entire range basically from, you know, start of the tournament till the end, starting, uh, I guess, in about October 2008. Um, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. I was three-handed on a final table at USPC at, at the main event there. And I just started min-raising the button, and basically the blind would call every time, and I'd win basically every pot. And I right. just kind of started thinking how easy it was, how they just kept calling with crap. And, you know, right. it was so easy to play against them in position, and right. I just right. decided I was going to try doing that. Right, yeah, and so – that's kind of where I was going with this because you're 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 kind of getting known for I mean I get you are already known for the min raise and you're writing an article for TPE yeah. on on min raise right or what what are you going to cover there Yeah basically just going to talk about I guess I guess sort of where it came from and why I do it and I guess the the positive positives and negatives negatives of it uh, negatives of it yeah. um it's it, like it's not for everybody but the you know the advantages of it and you know, the things that I think work so well about it should be for everyone, but it, it does put you in a lot of awkward spots post-flop where you get, um, you know, more callers and you're, you're playing a lot, yeah. a lot more post-flop and out of position a lot of the time against people that flat you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess just the, the one example that I usually give people right off the bat, um, you know, if, if I'm in the hijack and you're on the button and you have, Ace four offsuit, or king ten off, or jack ten off. If I three x, um, you're probably folding most of the time. Right. If I min raise, you're probably calling most of the time. And you know what? The, the first thing that the min raise does is it it keeps the hands that you have dominated in. Yeah. And it and you know whereas if you raise bigger, you're usually getting them to fold out. Um, so you know if I'm if I'm if I'm raising, you know, I, I, tr- I guess especially in the early stages of the tournament, I'm usually only opening hands for value. Um, so if I'm raising ace-10, if I 3x it, I'm probably only getting called by better aces. Right. Where if I min-raise it, I get, you know, a lot of the lesser aces to stay in or, you know, hands that I've dominated, whether it's even just with, you know, jack-10, queen-10, king-10, if I have ace-10. Right. Um, so that, that's, that's one thing. And then, of course, then the other aspect of it is, is hopefully getting the blinds to call you with a really wide range of hands and getting to play them in position with, you know, with with a better range of hands. Right, and, and what I found, um, so I basically been employing that since you know watching your video and talking to you and 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 getting a little bit of insight from you on the min raise. Um, you know, clearly clearly later in the in in the game, you know, everyone's kind of evolved to min raising already, but it's yeah. more this earlier in the game thing that really intrigued me. So I said, you know, I'm playing on merge right now, and and uh, you know I'm you know, a bunch of mid-stake stuff, and I said, let, let me, I'm going to start min-raising from the beginning, right? And, you know, it's a little bit troubling, you know, difficult when you're at 10-20, because you do get so many calls, right? But 
you know, let's just say that level or maybe, you know, at, at 2040 or, or, or 2550, you know, you start to get you thin the field a little bit. But right. what I found is, you know, you know, exactly what you said there. You get, you know, you get to play against the hands you dominate or the, or the blinds come along. But you also have more maneuverability post-flop because the pots are smaller. Would you, would you agree with that? You know, so you can uh, do more things. You can do multi-street, you know. Yeah, it, it, it allows you to get, you know, to see a lot of flops cheaper right. and you know where you could you know just get into a lot of pots with with people and not put a lot of chips in until you want to right and when you do make a hand there's you know a pretty good chance you're going to get paid off because there's you know a few other people in the pot right. um but in terms of like keeping the pot smaller and like you know a few min rays and someone three bets you and you have deuces you know it's going to be a lot cheaper to to maybe try and peel and hit a set than if you had you know 2.5 or 3x it, like it just gives you a lot more room for everything to right to play hands, you know, more optimally, optimally yeah. post flop, and, and to get to a lot of flops turns in rivers. Yeah, I've talked to a few people about min raising, and, and I, I think it's interesting because you you realize that you need to be a much better post flop player than than you might otherwise have to be. But the one thing that always people always say to me is they end up reverting back to two and a half or three xing because they say, well, I always just get called. Somebody always calls me. And I'm like, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's the one thing I say. Every every time I raise, I, I, well, especially in early stages of the tournament, I always want to get called. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm raising for a reason because I want to play that hand and I I want someone to call hopefully with a hand that I've beat or, you know, I would play them post flop. And, you know, the, the thing about min raising is even if, you know, you're not that confident in your post flop game, it puts you in so many more post flop yeah. situations that it forces you to improve your post flop game. Absolutely. Um, so as yeah. you know, as the learning tool, it, it could you know force you to play a lot more pots post flop and and uh, figure out what your strengths and strengths and weaknesses are in that form of your game. Um, Absolutely. You know, and most people are bad at folding, so it, it it gives you a chance to work on that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. Cool. And speaking of live, uh, what? To, what are your plans coming up for live poker? Um, I took uh, this year was basically I, I planned it all around the World Series. I took three months at off before the World Series of traveling. I'm just, mm. just hanging out at home and playing online. And obviously, the way online was going at the time, um, with how huge you know F tops and scoop and everything was getting and double guarantees, you know, it it was plenty. There's plenty of action just to to hang at home and play online. So um, that had something to do with this decision, but also resting for WSOP. Um, And then I decided to stick with my plan of, of taking three months off after WSOP to kind of just relax and enjoy summer and, you know, take some time with friends and stuff like that. Um, Starting in October, obviously W coops going on right now. Um, Starting in October, I'm going to be making one, one trip a month for uh the rest of this year and probably will be the plan going into next year so october i'm either i'm debating uh between two completely different trips i'm either going to go to wsop europe in france or i'm going to go to the circuit event in chicago (laughs) either 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 cans or (laughs) yeah Debating. Either way, you're gonna get accents, so you're fine. Yeah, uh, I'll probably decide in the next in the next week or two, and you know, obviously, you know, travel expenses have something to do with it. We'll see how WCoop goes and right. sort of decide what I want to do. And uh, we've just we've just added you to the coaching page. Um, yes. So does that mean? I guess that means that you are accepting new students. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like this, you know, the downtime that I 
took after the World Series. Um, I've been doing, you know, quite a bit of coaching and obviously starting with you guys. It's, you know, it's an area that, it, that I've, that I'm back in, um, whether it's like my, my poker circle here in, uh, in, uh, just north of Toronto in the, uh, 705 area code. Um, I've basically sort of have a, you know, a couple dozen guys that are playing a lot of poker now that sort of all started sort of learning from me. And I, I sort of been told that I, that I just have a good way of explaining things. And I don't know, I don't know why, or maybe it's cause I kind of started from a weird background and had to learn a, a weird way, but, or <laughs> it, it might have something to do with my 16 years of management experience yeah. and sales. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that probably has a lot to do with it. You know? Um, yeah. So anyway, so I, you know, I, I enjoy coaching. Um, it's, there's not that much, um, online action these days that, that motivates me to play my best. Um, but I find coaching, I, you know, I focus more and it, it, you know, it's, I don't know whether it's a bit newer to me or it's, it's just, it's different. I focus on everything I'm doing a lot better than if I'm just playing a, a crappy tournament with a small prize pool that, that doesn't do enough to, to get me to play my best. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I, you know, just judging from your videos, uh, I've never taken a, a session with you, but, but judging from your videos, um, I, I, I could easily see, um, you being a fantastic coach. So if anyone's interested um, in, in Mike's coaching, it's www.tournamentpokeredge.com slash coaching, and you can find out more details about his coaching and, and how he conducts himself and, and how to contact him um, for that. So, um, so Mike, yeah, good, good luck with that. Um, like, like I said, I, you know, I think, I think uh, just from the way you, you explain yourself on your videos, um, and you guys can even you know, check out his videos as well before you do that, um, really, really in-depth uh, teaching method that I think is going to be very successful. So, so, so great. So, um, we would like to talk a couple hands with you if you have yep. some more time. For cool. Sure. Cool. Um, so, you know, we, 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 at first we thought, well, maybe we could find some min raise hands and then we realized it's really hard to do min raise hands because it's, you're, you're the first to act and really the concept is over at that point. I mean, I know there's more to it. We just talked about it, but, um, yeah. we thought that given your, the, the, the way you explain yourselves in the videos and your combination of, you know, the fact that you do min raise a lot and you get yourself into a lot of post flop play and your live background. Um, we wanted to find some hands that had extensive, you know, turn and river play, um, so that we we picked a couple of hands uh, or that had that featured those concepts and, and and that's what we'd like to focus on. Okay, sure thing. Cool. So the first hand is. Uh, a hand that I played. Um, so for those of you listening, um, you can find the hands themselves. We post them uh, right when you go to our site um, and you go to tournamentpokeredge.com slash podcasts uh, right below where you're listening to this from, where you press play or where you press download in iTunes. Uh, there is a link to the podcast hands. Um, so, Getting to the hands, um, like I said, these are all about extensive post-flop play. And the first one is one that I played on Merge, uh, the Merge Network, just the other night. Um, I picked it because there's some decisions on the turn in the river, which I wanted to talk to you about. Um, it is the 6500 guaranteed, which I believe is the $33 tournament, right, Derek? It's the 33? Yep. Yeah, $33 tournament um, at nighttime. And I think... Uh, I think you start with 4K in chips. Um, I have basically a starting stack, 3981. You can see there in the hand history. Yeah, so about, just about 100 big blinds deep. <laughs> 100 big blinds deep, and I am on the button. Um, and under the gun, uh, who I don't really know anything about this guy. I have to say I, I – uh, 
don't know if he was at the table that much, but I just don't recall really anything. Even at, during the, the course of the hand, I think he just had some standard stats and don't really recall anything that he did that was exceptional or weird or or anything. So no real read okay. on this player. Um, JR1083, I guess was his name here. And he, right. just, he just limps um, under the gun. Under the gun. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, there are four folds, and it gets to the – who is this? This is the cutoff, and he, 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 he just – limps as well. Um, and I limp two on the button with nine queen off. Um, first off here, are you just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to trying to keep pot small, but I'm realizing maybe I should raise here to take control of this hand a little bit. What's your, uh, yeah. I, I'm kind of okay with either, you know, you're, you're so deep. Um, you know, I, I don't imagine he's limping under the gun with like a hand that you have dominated very often. Like it's, you can go one or the other, you know, one way or the other, right? You can just limp in behind on the button in position on everyone to, you know, either try and flop a, a really good hand or just to try and win, you know, win the pot being in position. Right. Or, of course, by raising at that point, you're probably going to only get him to call and you're playing heads up in position, yeah. um, which, of course, gives you, you know, the edge to win the hand. But it, I don't know, it's, it's a hand that you're, likely to be dominated in so yeah sometimes it makes it easier to win the pot by raising and sometimes i just like to keep it small and maybe just try and you know just you know put one big blind in there and try and win about 10 by flopping something yep. decent instead of you know building big pots so it, it kind of just i think you know pro- if i'm gonna play that hand probably half the time i'm raising half the time i'm just limping in especially that deep yeah um yeah. you know there's no antis to steal it, it's kind of you know why why build a big pot at that point yeah. um, other than of course giving yourself a better chance to win it but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't necessarily think either way is uh, 100% correct or incorrect it's kind of just you know ebb and flow and you right. know if you have it if I had a tight image at that point um, maybe I'd raise it if I kind of had a bit of a, a bad image maybe I'd just limp it in behind um, but on a very, very quick side note, um, I think people put too much stock into their image because most people aren't paying attention to how you're playing. They're just yeah. looking at their cards. But anyways, let's go uh, on. <laughs> I, I'm sure that I have been, you know, if min raising, I, you know, like I said, I've been, I've been, I've been employing the min raise and I'm, you know, I'm opening a decent amount in, in position. So I probably, you know, probably have probably not a neutral image, but probably not, not too crazy, but you know, I, I kind of fall, I kind of, I mean, what went through my head was exactly what you said there. If you, if I looked back at hands like this through my, my stats, I probably do half and half here. So, you know, right. kind of, okay. So first of all, good, glad, glad to hear that, 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 that line I think is valid. So, you know, I just wanted to just play this in position and be able to control the pot size later on, you know, yeah. you know, small. It, it only costs you 40 chips to get in. Yep. And who knows if you flop a straight or two pair or something, you might win a big hand or, you know, of course you can play it well in position, the pot control or whatever. Okay. So the flop comes ace of diamonds, 10 of spades, jack of spades. Yep. Okay. So just to review, I had the nine of spades and the queen of clubs. And so as Mike said, um, the flop is, Ace of diamonds, 10 of spades, jack of spades. So that gives me um, a straight draw. Um, yeah. Back to a flush draw, which I don't put too much value in because it's the nine. It's not not that strong. Right. Um, but And, you know, obviously I don't have any over cards. Um, and the, the, the pot is, is 180. Um, we did get a call. But by the way, we did get the, the, the big blind the check. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the, the small blind did fold. So it was four going through the flop. So with that kind of flop, 
the big blind just checks. Um, the under the gun who limped, the first limper in, in, in preflop, uh, makes it 180, which is basically a pot size bet. Right. And if the cutoff folds, and then it's to me, and I just call here because I don't want to, you know, I don't have anything yet. I, I'm on a draw. Um, you know, his big, it's a big flop bet, you know, signifying that he, you know, has something that he doesn't want seeing any cards, I guess. Um, so I have, I, I'm never, I'm not, don't think I'm ever raising here. And I guess I, I, you know, folding is, is a probably a good option too, but I just decided to call here. What do you, what do you think of that? Yeah, I don't, I don't mind, I don't mind the call. Like you're, you're so deep here that, um, it gives you a lot of different options that you can do on the flop. Right. Uh, being, being in position, um, you could raise, but when the guy bombs out pots, um, Obviously, he probably likes his hand, and if you raise, you might just end up getting, you know, shoved on or re-raised, and it kind of obviously you then then don't get a chance to to hit your draw or try to win the pot on a on a further street. So, um, I, I like the call here um, most times, um, just because you, you do have a good draw, you do even have a you know an extra backdoor draw, right. and you could of course win win the hand without having to hit if. Um, if the right cards come, or if he just decides to to shut it down, right? Um, and, obviously, and, being in position helps. And what do you? What I mean, can we range him at this point yet? What What are we thinking about this guy? And, yeah, well, the, like there's two, two, two times where you probably want to try and get his range. And the first is is preflop. Um, you know, you use what do people usually limp with, right? So either suited connectors or a suited ace or a small pair right. or Broadway cards. Um, so when I see this flop come down, um. It's kind of all over his range, whether it's a yeah. suited ace or Broadway cards, or maybe a suited connector. He might have a flush draw. Um, if he has a small pocket pair, he's. Yeah, I, I don't think he's yeah. ever going to pop out pot on that. On I that agree. Flop. I agree. So it's it's kind of a bad flop for you in that it's kind of all over his range. You almost want him to have um, ace rag here as opposed to Broadway cards because it's he's almost never folding Broadway yeah. cards. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's kind of I, I think I agree with you on the Broadway cards and the ace rag, but I think I I think I really put him on ace rag more. I don't just that's just what it felt more like to me, because he's feels like he's really protecting his hand here. Right. And an ace really hates this flop, you know, not hates it, but hates hates to continue in this hand. Yeah. You know, and that's what it felt like to me. Not saying that I'm right. You know, there's more, 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 more streets to play, but kind, kind of that's what. You know, and it's it's broader than that, obviously, but I kind of felt like that's what it was. And right. maybe I'm, but am I am I lim- I feel like I'm limiting myself to that too much there by just kind of confining it to that, and not not waving the Broadway cards enough. Well, if, if he has like the the you know the uh, the king ten queen jack kind of the pair in the Broadway draw, mm-hmm. um, they're usually not bombing those. They're usually sort of blockers betting or sometimes even check calling. Um, obviously every player is a little bit different, but it's usually not a, a pot size bet thing. Right. Um, you know, he, he could have a flush draw or he could have, you know, as you said, you know, a suited ace that he's trying to protect. Right. Um, or of course, you know, maybe flopped huge and he's just trying to get value, but not too often does he have King queen there. Like it just, they usually just don't right. okay. bomb pot with the nuts. So yeah, okay. I think the range is about where. We both think it is. Okay. Well, so then, um, so now there's 540 in the pot because uh, the 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 
big blindfolded. Big blindfolded, yeah. The, the yeah. first got out. Big blindfolded. Um, so now it's 540 in the pot. There's two of us going to the flop. I'm in position. Um, the flop, once again, uh, was ace, diamonds, 10, jack of, of both spades. And the turn comes nine of diamonds. So now we have two diamonds and two spades out there. Um, yeah. It's a really connected board. Um, I feel like I'm repping that I can, you know, that I've hit this. I could rep that I've hit this if he checks to me. And yeah. he does check to me. And so... Yeah. You, you like your your call looks pretty strong on yeah. on the flop. You know he bombs out pot and you know you limps behind and you, and your range is kind of the same as his limping on the button. You should have a ton of Broadway cards and different things. Right. Um. So when he checks, um, I figure one of two things: either he's just checking to give up, or he's checking to call um, pot controlling with you know just an ace or with um, the you know the pair and the, and the straight draw. Right. Um. So I I definitely like the bet. Um, because it gives you two ways to win the hand, right? So and I, I always want to try and give as many ways as I can. Just to clarify, I bet three sixty. So just three sixty. Yep. yep, that's kind of about what I would would bet. Um, like you know, sixty percent pot kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, a lot of people at that point are just going to fold, just ace rag, um, or they might call with the pair and the and the Broadway draw to then fold to a river bet. Right. With in this spot, I don't think. I'm betting the turn to then not bet the river, right? Because I don't expect him to to fold Queen Jack or King Ten or King Jack or any of those hands. I expect him to check call because he still has a draw. Yes, agreed. Um, it's agreed. kind of, you know, you either check behind the turn to just, you know, take a cheap card and and then maybe try and it's. But I, yeah, like I definitely think the bet is is the best. Um, but then probably you got to plan the. You know, a lot of the times I'm betting to build the pot in case I get there mm-hmm. and to maybe check behind with some showdown value. But obviously, just with a pair of nines here, um, you don't have any showdown value to anything he's calling. Right. right. Let's not forget. Yeah, just to clarify, maybe we didn't connect that to, to the listeners. Uh, that make the, that nine does give me a pair in addition to my straight draw. It doesn't, doesn't complete my straight draw at all, obviously, but it does give me a pair. But but like you said, that showdown value is non probably non-existent. Um, yeah, unless he's, if for some reason, has decided to check call you with, you know, uh, six, seven of spades, right, right. <laughs> or something like that, <laughs> which which some people will do, right. um, which I think is horrendous. You know, check calling on a draw, but right. <laughs> anyways, with one to come yes. with seven high <laughs> showdown value. But yeah. um, you know, I, in this spot, I'm I'm basically putting him on you know ace x or um, a pair and a straight draw with with Broadway cards. So I'm going to bet the turn to. You know, try and get him to fold or um, to set it up to either get there, of course, or to, you know, most likely continue on the river and to try and get him to fold just a naked ace or um, just, you know, king jack, queen jack, king ten kind of, you know second, third pair kind of thing. Gotcha. Okay. Well, um, so I do bet the 360 and he calls. Um, so we go to the river and, um, you know, this is where I, I actually, he checked to me. Um, so now we're at 1260 um, is the pot size. Um, yeah. At this point, what do I have? I have about 3,400, I guess. I put about 500 into this pot, so approximately 3,400. So we're still ultra deep here. Yeah. Um, got a ton of chips. I got 1260. He he had me covered um, in this hand, so he's got way more, even way more. Yeah. Than me. The, the one thing going against you in this pot is that 
you know, he's already chipped up, so he kind of has uh, calling chips. You right. Know, early in a tournament, it's obviously easier for someone to call if they have more chips, and he's already chipped up, so he probably figures, well, if I call and lose this, I'm I'm still you know back to where I started or whatever. Right. So um, the, the river is the five of hearts. Um. So you know that does not complete any flushes. Um. Does not not continue any straights or any other coordinated board there. Um. It's pretty you know as blank as blank can be unless yeah. he has ace five. Um, right. And he checks to me, and so I mean I'm thinking exactly what you said there. In you know I didn't bet the turn to to check the river with my my week nine. Um. I figure, you know a second bet here will make an ace fold. Um, if he has, you know, Broadway and he, you know, he has me beat and he, you know, he makes a, a good hero call. Um, yeah. so be it, but I, I bet here seven fifty into 1260. Um, right. one, I guess, I guess, you know, you said it on the turn that you would think a bet on the river is good, but what, what about the sizing? Um, yeah, I like the sizing. Um, <sighs> Like, there's two schools of thought, I guess, again. Like, you can bet smaller, so it looks like you're going for a value bet. But right. then it's easier for him to call. Yeah. Or you can bet bigger to make it tougher for him to call. And yeah. it makes it look like you're going for max value. Um, like, there a couple things during the hand um, might have, you know, you know, given you a hint on what might have been better. Like, if he's, you know, kind of seems to have that stubborn, like, quick call kind of thing mm-hmm. where – He's sort of daring you to bet again. Right. Um, like it, sometimes you can pick up on a read whether whether or not you think the guy is just going to auto hero call you, or if you know if you think you might be able to make a lay down. Um, you know, people don't fold online all that often. Yeah. <laughs> so I know. Uh, so you know, but at the same point, it, it kind of like he, he basically. I don't think he's going to call you very often here with Queen Jack. King Ten, you know those kind of pair and Broadway Broadway cards. So I, I think in this case the bet is correct because you know that's a huge part of his range, and you might be able to get him to fold an ace. And obviously you have zero showdown value because you know ninety nine percent of the hands he was calling you with he has you beat. Um, it's you know it's your only way to win the hand. And I do think in this spot he probably folds enough to to make the bet profitable profitable and, here. And I think I think if, you know, we think a, a weak ace is a big part of his range, I think it's going to be a lot easier for him to call a 450 bet or something like that where you're trying to, you know, bet small to rep strength. I think they just right. throw four, you know, especially when he has 6,000 chips, I think they just throw 450 away. Yeah. And, it, and it's, again, because there was a flush draw on the flop and, and he bet and you called and then it never got there. It's kind of one of those things he he can. It's easy for him to pick a hand that he can beat. Yep. Um, and if they can do that, it's it's easy for them to call. Yep. Okay. Um, but all right. It's, Re- all right. Results time. Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, he he called and he had ten jack of clubs actually. Okay. He was in the Broadway range. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it actually surprised me. Um, but I guess you know, we you said it right off the bat. Uh, suited connectors are definitely a big part of his his limp range. Um, right. Just you know, what I found hard about this hand is when I I mean I, I spent a lot of time thinking during the hand is because his range was so wide. I just almost got overwhelmed with range analysis. Right. <laughs> it's just almost like wait, well, I got suited connectors. He's got fucking pairs. What does he do here? What does he do there? I almost got overwhelmed, so I just kind of gave him the ace rag and just went with it. Right. <laughs> I don't know if it was just for ease of you know thought but that's what i kind of ended up doing i don't i don't mind how he played his hand although um there's no reason for him not to to bet the turn again um like you know the nine of diamonds really does nothing to 
to any hand that you have. Um, so if he's going to bomb the, the flop and you call, you might as well bet the turn as well and try and get value out of your your Broadway draws and your flush draws and your ace. Um, you know, obviously he could have played a bit more variant and, and check raise the turn. Um, I guess whether he got scared or he just wanted to make it easy on himself and just check call, I'm not sure what, what his thinking was there. Um, but, you know, he ended up getting that extra big bet on out of you on, on the river yep. where if he just, if he bets again on the turn, you're basically, you're not, you're not getting the right price. So you're going to either have to semi bluff, raise the turn or fold. Yeah, so sure fold you know, sure. results orientated, it, he played it pretty good, but right. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure about that line. It, it kind of, you know, depends against what, you know, the opponent I'm playing against will probably depend on what line I take with his hand there. Um, if I have a real aggressive opponent, um, you know, I might try and get them to spaz out by betting again, or I might just try and let them put a lot of chips in by, by checking to them. Right. And obviously there's, you know, it's fun thing about poker is there's always so many different, uh, avenues you can take on every hand. Yep. Kind yep. of like those, uh, choose your own ending books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. And that's what's great about, you know, reducing the number of tables you play in and focusing on the opponent because then you could really start to through all those, those, those things. And it's not easy at first because, like I said, I've been trying to do that more. And, you know, this particular hand, I almost got range paralysis. You know, I was just kind of right. overwhelmed. But I think it, you know, does probably get easier as you do it more. Um, okay. Um, cool. So let's move on to the next hand. Derek, uh, do you want to walk us through this one? You got it. This is um, actually a hand from our forum. I wish I had played it because it's on Poker Stars. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I live in the old US of A where we can't play on Poker Stars. So this is actually, like I said, from our forum. Uh, it's a $33 uh, buy-in tournament. Uh, blinds are at 150 300 with a 25 ante. And uh, our hero in this hand has about 25 big blinds. He has, uh, well, first of all, his hand is the 7-8 of diamonds. And there are three folds, and in middle position, our hero makes it 665, which is just a little over a min raise, which um, I think we can all agree is, you know, Standard. perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, and then he gets a call from the big blind who has a, a, a pretty big stack. He has almost 19K, so over over 60 big blinds. Um, and, and so the big blind flats. Um, that leaves 1680 in the pot going to the flop. The flop is eight, nine, nine, uh, eight of spades, nine of diamonds, nine of hearts, um, which I, th- you know, I think is a pretty good flop for us. So, if, you know, um, the big blind checks, as we probably expect him to. Um, yeah. Do you like a, you like a bet here with our hand? I mean, yeah, if we so raise I just want to hand... try and get the parameters here. So we're the opener in middle position with twenty-five bigs. Correct. At one fifty-three with an ante. Um, you know what? A... Before you even go to the flop, though, Mike. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm not sure if you're staying on pre flop or not. But if if you before you go to the flop, I mean, this with the stacks behind us, we got a twenty big, and then we have three giant stacks. Are yeah, you, that, that, that's where again? I was. That's where I was going with this. Um, I'm just trying to figure out, like, number one, you know, you have a guy with 60 big blinds in the big blind who's probably going to play, you know, probably going to call you pretty loosely, and might even just shove on you a lot of hands when you're opening with 25 bigs. Um, in and in between that, you have a shove stack um, with 20 bigs in the cutoff, and you have the chip leader on the table on the button um, with 110 big blinds, and you know, 
chip leaders don't often like to fold their button, whether they're three <laughs> flatting or whatever. Then you have a small blind with 110 bigs, and then you have a big blind with, with 60. It just seems like an awful spot to open eight high when right. you're 25 big blinds deep. Um, I, I think probably the only time that I would ever open this hand is if I was kind of in a uh, spewy, tilty frame of mind and I was just looking to gamble. Um, it's it's not a good open with you know a shove stack and big stacks behind you, especially one on the button and especially one in the big blind. It's probably if you were picking all of your spots to open around the table, this would be the worst yeah. one because you have <laughs> really? a big, you have a big stack on the button and a big stack in the big blind, and you know those are your two most common opponents. Right. Um, is it, but. So that's that's my pre right. analysis. So your your raise is almost never going to get through, is what you're saying, and you're going to have to play hand. I mean, at least you'll be in position, I guess. But yeah, like, you're you're not yeah you're 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 not often going to get flatted when you're opening 25 bigs. You know, the big stacks are probably going going to either you know shove on you or three bet you to play for your stack, um, or if they do flat. Um, you, you know, 7-8 really doesn't play that well against their flatting range um, because if they're flatting, they're probably flatting with 10-jack, uh, queen-jack kind of hands that they don't want to play for your stack, but they don't want to fold. Um, right. Kind of has has your hand in, in, in trouble. Like the, the only positives to opening this hand is if, you know, you have 25 bigs, it, it looks like a strong open, Um you know, most people aren't opening with 25 bigs to fold, so it kind of looks like you have a big hand. So they might just, you know, call and check fold if they don't hit, um, or you might get through and steal the blinds. But at this point with 25 bigs, I'd rather save my chips so that I could three-bet shove on someone else instead of opening light. Right, right. But Makes sense. That's the preflop. But if I did gotcha. open it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I get called by a big stack in the big blind, and the flop comes 8-9-9, um, with a diamond, of course, you have the uh, backdoor straight flush draw with yeah. the 7-8 diamonds. Um, you know, if I was a bit deeper, if I was probably 30 big blinds deep um, or more, um, I might check behind to sort of pot control and, you know, to maybe get them the bluff, um, you know, disguise my hand and, you know, a lot of things like that. But uh, 25 big blinds deep, I'm most likely in the spot going to just bet and go with it mm-hmm. um, and know that if I'm going with it, I'm might be against, you know, the 10-jack, queen-jack, two overs and a straight draw kind of thing. Um, but a lot, sometimes they might just bluff. Or if he did decide the flat with, like, a small pair, um, that's a f- type of flop that he might go with it on. And obviously, you you know, you have baby pocket pairs in, in big trouble. So um, right. I'm, I'm usually betting about half pot and, and going with it here. Okay. So, and when, when, when he flats our bet, um, our hero bets 900 and, and the big blind calls. Calls? Yeah, big blind just calls. How does, how does this adjust the range we're putting the big blind um, on? I'm now a bit worried um, because it looks like he could be slow playing a nine or a big hand. Um, I'm just trying to look at the, bet, the stack sizes again here. So we got 7,500 chips. And C bet nine hundred, um, and raise the six. So you've got about seven six thousand behind. Yeah, it kind of it's it's a bit too much for him to just shove on you. Maybe um, he he might still just have a you know an, 
an under pair, he might have an eight or obviously a straight draw or slow playing a nine. Um, I don't think he's often just, you know, floating here with, you know, a, a suited ace or king queen or, or something like that. I would put him on a pair or, or you know, a, a decent draw, like a, a ten, ten jack, six, seven, you know, maybe queen jack overs in the gutter kind of thing. And I'd be worried that he might be slow playing a nine or, you know, if he got really tricky, maybe slow playing aces or something like that. Right. Um, so and there's not, there's not many, like, I, I'm always, I'm always trying to, to think a street ahead. Um, so when I'm, you know, I bet the flop and he's calling before the turn comes out and especially live when it takes longer for the streets to come, but online before I see the turn, I'm trying to think about, you know, what I'm going to do on the turn based on, on what the turn card is and everything. Right. Um, yeah. while I'm waiting for the turn to come, there's not many turns I can think of that that I'm going to be betting again. Um, just because I have enough chips to check behind and maybe call a bet on the river or, you know, just kind of see, see how the board runs out. But right. Okay. And then, okay. So as we mentioned, the, the, the big line calls, the turn is the three of hearts, which looks like a pretty innocent card. Um, yeah. But this is, I guess where things start to get kind of, uh, tricky. Um, yeah. Because that, because the villain leads for twenty four hundred into a thirty four hundred pot. Wide. Um, <laughs> yeah, a weird spot. Yeah, it is a weird spot. Um, God, uh, that, that's that's always when I get pissed off when I'm planning on checking behind and they just yeah. bomb into you. Like, yeah, um, like you were talking about having a plan, but I don't I don't think this plan. move was in the plan. <laughs> Not the plan. Um, yeah. Jeez, it's and you know, and this is this is uh, the part of the game where I think everyone's um, you know struggle is uh, dealing with emotions, right? Okay. Um, you know, some if you're kind of if it's your last table in a session and you're kind of tilted, you're probably gonna just call and you know hope he's on a draw. Um, or, like it, you know, sometimes that definitely inf- influences your decisions. Um, and even at a live tournament, you know, if you have dinner plans or something. <laughs> but, um, in this spot, I think I really look at uh, a few things here when I'm deciding. Because you're, when you're deciding on the turn, you're probably deciding for the river as well. Um, I'm looking at how many chips I have behind. Um, and at this point, we, we said we'd have about 6,000 chips, which is about 20 bigs, um, you know, which, which is plenty to play play with um you know I, I like myself with 20 bigs at any point in the tournament um i always still feel i have a chance to win um so I, again it's all about his range here so um you know the 10 jack the queen jack the six seven the random eight the slow played nine it just really doesn't seem like it's a slow played nine um that he's going to check call the flop and then bomb the turn like right. I, I feel he might lead the turn because he doesn't want you to check behind. But the bomb on the turn is, is, is pretty weird. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously I'd love to have some information on previous hands that that this person has played, but um, with no information, um, it's still a really tough decision. Because even if he is on a big draw, like ten jack, um, you know, it, it's a tough spot because. You know, you're then faced with the decision whether you shove so that you get full value if he misses, or whether you just call to hope he bluffs if he misses. 
but then depending on what card comes on the river, you you know, there's a chance maybe you might fold the best hand if you know you put him on ten jack, but he actually has six seven, and the river's a you know a queen or a jack or something. So um, it's right. it's a very interesting spot. Um, it's a good hand to discuss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I really don't think there's a uh, a perfect way or or an exact answer to. To the line you should take here. Yeah, this uh, is so bizarre that it's really just—it's not going to happen a lot either. It's just kind of kind of awkward, weird. Yeah, spot. well, it's, it's you know, it's it's one of those spots where you you know you're playing a hand in position. Um, normally, where you get to dictate the action, but the action's kind of been been forced on you. Right. And you know, it's you know, leading out more is something I've experienced with um, lately out of the blinds, and you know, different people have, and it like. Every time I think it's going to be like all the new rage, then it just kind of dies mm-hmm. again. And everyone just checks. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it, it, as as difficult as the spot as it puts you in, it puts them in a more yeah, difficult. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, um, I don't know. I'm I'm very interested to see what he has. <laughs> um, I I think, oh god, it. I'd probably look around and, and I guess it depends what you know the average stack is in the tournament, what stage of the tournament ter- tournament I'm in. It might change what you know what decision I I make on the turn. Right, um, right. I'm not really not sure what I do. I you know I I try and trust trust my instinct at the moment. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, what what made hand really wants to lead out here and not give you a chance and give you a chance to go away if you got nothing and. You know. He, he, you know, like he could be protecting just an eight, um, right. which would probably mean he has you beat. Right. Um, if he does have, you know, ace eight or ten eight or something, but it doesn't seem common that he that he has that. Right. Um, right. It, it seems it seems like a draw um, that he didn't want to shove, but then he missed, so then he decided to bet and try and get you to fold. I don't. Know, it's, yeah. It's kind of yeah. Yeah. When I first looked at it, I kind of thought it could be. A draw that got better on the turn, so like the ten jack of hearts or something. That, yeah. And when he when he picks up the extra draw, then he just says, "Okay, well, I'm just going to go with this, and I don't have a hand yet, so I'll bet, but I'm not folding if yeah. this guy puts the money in or kind something of what like it that." Feels like to me too. Yeah, so yeah. he just, you know wanted to bet enough to commit himself to the pot. Yeah. Right, right. So in, in the in the actual hand, um, you know, our hero shoves in uh, for almost six thousand more, um, okay. and of course at this point our villain is priced in and calls for another 3500 and uh villain shows down the king jack of hearts okay um and i guess it's not important how it ends but the villain does get there because they usually do (laughs) (laughs) damn villains um yeah like i guess you know the you know if this person has he doesn't have that many chips 60 big blinds but i guess he just decided not to fold to a, a, a little C bet, and then all of a sudden, kind of gets, I guess, his best card. Right. Size yeah. just the bomb. Yeah, uh, but I don't understand what he does. He's calling out of position, so you know he's not going to get a chance. Like if he thinks he's not going to get a chance to to float here, you know, in position and take it away on a turn if the if he gets checked to. So he's got to like I don't you know he's got a old reverse float yeah. on, a, on a board where you can't represent anything right right <laughs> so yeah. It's, uh, yeah it's 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 a very very highly advanced or very yeah very, right <laughs> very so novice. advanced you can't even see it's, what's happening yeah it's so novice that it's advanced or it's so advanced that it's novice one or the other that's right, right. Um, yeah um, and and that's yeah and I I I kind of. I think he, if he's going to go with it at this point, he probably should shove um, for a couple reasons. 
if the guy is just on some sort of stone cold move, then he doesn't get his free card and he may fold. Or if he is on a draw, um, then at least you get him to put the rest of his chips in so that if, if he misses, he gets, you know, you get your full double instead of if he bricks the river, um, maybe he just check, check gives up if, uh, you know, if you call the turn. So, right. Okay. Like some, some, if you had a bit more chips, probably just calling, but at that point, I think you might as well just, Try and get the the value if you're ahead. Yeah, makes sense. Because you can't fold very many rivers anyway. Right. Cool. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the last hand. And since uh, we did talk a little bit about about your live experience, we might as well finish up with a live hand, right, Diego? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is a hand I've talked to many players about. Um, I thought it was really interesting from the Foxwoods uh, deep stack that just. Um, just took place uh, about two, three weeks ago. Um, I played in it. It's a $1,200 tournament. Um, Foxwoods is, for those of you who don't know, it's a local casino um, here to the East Coast in Connecticut. Um, I'm, in, I'm in New York on Long Island, so um, I you know, get to go up there occasionally and, and play. And you know, Foxwoods hosts a WPT event, and they have these you know, sort of quarterly deep stack events where the irons range from 300 to usually like 1200 Um the 1200 being this main event. And I think the guarantee here was like 300,000 or, or more. And, I, and then they got like 400 people to this, to this 1200. Um, so it was, it was a really good tournament and Foxwoods is a pretty good value. Mike, Mike, you've played at Foxwoods before, right? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, if you're rating the country in terms of, um, you know, softest fields, mm-hmm. you'd probably go to the South first. Right. Um, okay. like, you know, down in Biloxi and Tunica and, and those areas, and maybe the Midwest second where they don't get very much poker, and then Foxwoods for yeah. sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just you know it's it's right in the middle of New York and 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 Massachusetts, and you know you got a lot of the, the those those guys who just you know show up with all their jewelry and just you know yeah you know, just think <laughs> that they you know the sunglasses and the spiky hair and just like you know, think they're going to stay you down and stuff and they just don't really know how to play you know you know technical yeah, poker at all yeah you get a lot of a lot of interesting characters that yeah. with definitely it's uh it's equivalent to i don't know maybe a, a two dollar rebuy online or something well, like yeah, that you know, actually, I, this 1200 deep stack i would say is a is a Probably a ten dollar rebuy because there were some decent players in the field, but most most players uh, and and so this this is you know this is also relevant for the the, the hand. Uh, most of the players at my table were satellited in first of all, and they were openly talking about it. Um, I, there was I would say probably two decent. I'll, I'll consider myself halfway decent, and there were probably two other decent players um, at the table. Um, one who kept cooling me and sucking out of me and was driving me nuts. But um, I was trying to get, stay away from him, but we just kept on getting in hands. And, you know, one I'm other... Sure I, I'm sure I know him by name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, there was there was a couple decent... Um, yeah, you probably do, right? Yeah, you probably know him. Um, and so, uh, you know, this table was so enough about the tournament it, it was it was clearly soft but but this table was was definitely soft and the softness of the field was very relevant in this hand because um you know the player that i ended up playing a big pot with was a satellite player um to sitting to my right um extremely happy to be there okay so the, the this player was thrilled to be there and was the kind of guy who was talking about the hands he folded 
like after the plot, like oh, I'm, I would have hit a straight, like you know, his his yeah. seven would have hit a straight, you know. Those yeah. <laughs> kind of he he's having fun playing. It's it's entertaining for him. You know, these people usually don't want to bust, yeah. um, and they're usually going to give away all kinds of information, which is one reason why you shouldn't be wearing headphones at a live tournament table because you miss so much. And I, unless and I, unless I, you can hear. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I, I definitely kept them off for like the first four or five hours. Um, and I put them on, you know, maybe for just a little break in the action at some point. I agree with you. There's a lot of information to be had there. Um, and, you know, they're very fr- – everyone's friendly. They're talking about hand, you know, what they folded and this and that. It's just like it's it's a gold mine of, of information. So, yeah, it's oh, how Daniel Negreanu made all his money. If you can yeah. make people have fun while they're giving you their money, then <laughs> <laughs> they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't mind giving you money when they're having fun. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So, so this hand that arises, um, I, I guess my, my my image is relevant here. Um, I'm definitely the most aggressive player at the table, and I am I, I, I am getting ton of value um, at showdown, um, thin value too, which you know I thought was was boning well for my my image, um, both my aggression, and then when I got there, I was I was really getting there with the best hand. So I think I think I don't know what that tells you know what the other people think if they even noticed that, but I was playing a lot of hands, I was c betting a lot, so I probably have the most aggressive image. I'm sure I had the most aggressive image at at the table. Um, okay. Now a lot of the amateurs are almost going to take offense to that. Yeah, 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 and. You know, there was a couple of comments of, you know, you know, you got to have a hand sometime or something. Like, you know, when I, I got three bet a couple times, you know, eventually, but not that often. But when when they did, they were, you know, like really proud of themselves doing it. Now, <laughs> the, the stage of the tournament yeah. is is important to me at, at this point, playing with a bunch of people. Okay, so let me give you the let me give you the parameters here. So the, the blinds are at 800, 1600 uh, with a 200 ante. Um, so we're getting, you know, we're getting there. Um, it's it's uh, it's a twelve hundred deep stack, like I said. Um, I have seventy five k at this point. Um, the okay, so then let's go around who who plays the hand and, and what happens. So so first to act under the gun has about a sixty k stack. And he makes it 3,500. Remember, we're at 800, 1,600. Um, This guy, I'll give him all my reads because I remember him pretty clearly. Um, This guy was uh, sunglass-wearing, jockish, kind of spiky hair kind of guy. Like, I think he was wearing, like, a team, you know, like, some sort of team jacket or something. Um, Several times, basically playing strength hands um, and... uh, you know, putting uh, he's he. There were a couple times where I see bet him, and, and he just assumed I had a great hand. So I think he just you know plays his cards. Basically. Okay, but either just one thing right off the bat that makes him either seem somewhat competent, or maybe just trying to copy others. But his like his opening amount is a very, you know, sort of online-ish competent kind of race you know size. It was it was, the, it was the t- oh okay you're right you're right it, it was kind of the table standard except for like the two guys would always three exit. Like okay. there were those two guys there, but but him, yes, I, I agree. I think I think he was competent in the sense that you know he he, he wasn't doing anything crazy, um, and he wasn't like super, but he was very kind of straightforward. Okay, because a lot of the spiky hair guys with chains from the East Coast will like four exit when they have a real hand, and <laughs> so. no, he, was like, he was more like a, a an army guy. You know what I mean? Like he was he was like stocky sort of. You know, he wasn't like a, a like a flashy guy. He was more like a, right. a, a, a spiky guy with chains listening to this wants to beat me up right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I live on Long Island, so I better be careful. There's a lot of spiky guys with chains that are better. 
<laughs> okay, so so this guy makes it 3,500 on the gun. Um, I mean, I, I put him on a pretty strong range uh, just because of, of who he is, and, and he hasn't done anything. Anytime he's opened, he's you know early especially, he's, he's had a decent hand. Um, under the gun plus two um, was one of the other decent players at the table. Um, he was definitely a thinking player. Um, he would tank a lot, and he made some pretty good calls uh, when people were bluffing into him with, um, you know, with 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 showdown strength hands. Um, I, you know, I don't remember a lot of details because it's been about a month at this point, but I just remember thinking this guy probably was one of the better players at the table. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I thought he, oh, and he was, the, he was playing back at me. He was the, maybe that was it. He was the one guy who was really taking a stand against me when I was, when I was, and he had position on me, you know, a couple of seats okay. away. So um, he was definitely, um, I thought, competent. All right. Um, it falls all the way around to the small blind. I'm in the big blind here. And it falls all the way around to the small blind. And the small yeah. blind is the guy to my right who is, you know, the, the sort of the classic donk. Um, happy, happy to be there talking about his hands and talking to everyone. Now, one quick question. Yeah. When when did you first look at your hand? Oh, I wait till it's my turn. Okay. So now as under the gun opens, um, you're thinking, okay, well, this person's on the tighter side, probably has a pretty decent hand. Yep. And then the decent player flats him. So if you're giving this guy credit for being competent and a, and a thinking player, he's probably not flatting an under-the-gun tight guy very light from early position. Right. So I'd probably put him on you know, almost as premium a hand as, as the opener. Uh, uh, oh, let me give you stacks though. Um, so under the yeah. gun was 60 K 60 K. Yeah. So just under 40 bigs. And I, then under the, the flatter, the first flatter had a hundred K and a hundred K. And then the small button had 90 K. Okay. So they're all pretty deep. Um, yeah. and so I figure like under the gun, I agree with you under the gun, but I mean, could he could call with pretty much any pair there, right? I mean, yeah, well, of course. Yeah. No, right. he's definitely, he's not folding any pocket pair right. ever. Right. Um, but you know, it, it, it is the East coast. Even competent players are still calling with, you know, queen Jack suited and stuff in that spot, even though they probably shouldn't be in, in that position. In not that, that spot. early. Not definitely not that early, but yeah. Okay. Um, and what about small blind? Um, this guy calls and yeah. So he's, you know, he, he could have anything that looks kind of pretty, right? Yeah. And I'm not one. I, my, I, I look down at my cards. I have 10 jack off, and I'm not one to, you know, normally play, you know, out of position. I, I try to avoid playing out of position as much as possible, um, uh, you know. But in this particular case, you know, there's – if when I if I put in the rest, you know – I remember I'm also in the big blind, so it's not costing me 3500 It's costing right. me, uh, you know, 1900 You know, I'm putting in 1900 for a 1600 Flop. And so my rationale is here, I can... 16,000. You know, 16,000, right. Yeah. 16,000. I can get in, get out here, you know, pretty well with my hand that flops pretty well if it hits. Um, I figured 1,900 is is okay to put in here. I mean, do you agree, disagree? Yeah, I, yeah, I disagree and agree. Um, yeah. I, again, as you were talking about, you try not to play out of position. And um, I really try hard not to put myself into awkward situations. Yeah. Um, and when you're putting the under the gun razor on a pretty strong range and the first flatter on a pretty strong, pretty strong hand, um, there's just, you know, 10 jack off. There's, if you put those two hands together, what they have, um, it just doesn't play very well against almost anything that they have. You're going to be dominated so often. Um, you're going to have to really, really hit hard. And even if you do, like if a flop comes 10-10 or jack-jack, you could still be in really big trouble against the hands that they could have. Um, and even if you flop two pair against an over pair, you're, you know, 
you're still not a huge favorite. Um, you know, I, I, I probably, um, prefer a fold just to avoid putting yourself into an awkward situation by flopping a pair and having the check call a street or two. Um, it kind of depends, you know, on their playing style. Um, and again, this is a positive and a negative. Like if they are very aggressive people who are going to be like bombing in pot size bets, it, you know, kind of gives more reason to fold because you don't want to be put in an awkward situation, but it also gives you more reason to call because if you do, you know, smash the flop you're going to get paid and the opposite if they're guys that are going to kind of slow down and sort of get a bit scared um you know it makes it not as bad to call because you probably won't get put under as much pressure but then you're not getting you know the value if you smash something to get paid off so um if you know if i'm torn on a decision like that i'm probably just going to avoid the marginal you know, spot and just, and toss my cards in the muck. Yeah. Especially, especially at a casino at a place like Foxwoods where you have so much edge on, on most of the field. That's what I was going to say. Try and and avoid um, spots like that when you, when you have a healthy stack. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to say. And, and in a spot like that. Now, if it was suited. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That helps. Yeah. 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 Now, now this, um, this, I, 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 I find it hard to, I mean, I don't know if I'm ever good enough to fold there, you know, for the reason that you said, I'm not sure I'm ever good enough, but again, the, the, the second half of the point you made there, I think is extremely relevant in that um, the, the value of position is even more powerful in a situation like this against players like this, because, you know, just the, the, the level of edge that you get against bad players just magnifies, I think, when you get to play more hands in position. So it really does make this marginal spot where you could lose a decent amount of chips um, and never even get to a, a, a river more risky um, and less, less valuable. But like I said, I probably have a hard time ever folding here. So I did call. Yeah. <laughs> and like when you're talking pot odds. You definitely yeah. have the pot odds, but in no limit hold'em pot odds is often incorrect. Um, like in, you know, where, like in limit hold'em, it's always correct to call, right. but in no limit hold'em where you can't control the size of the bets. Um, anyways, all right. Okay. So. Yep. Good points. Um, so let's, let's, let's move to the, to the flop where I did call. So now we go to the flop. There's about 16,000 in the pot. Um, the flop comes as good as it can get pretty much. Um, it's queen eight, nine. So my 10 Jack now makes a straight. Um, however, there are two clubs on the board. Um, the queen is a club and I don't remember if the eight or the nine is the other club and I, I don't think it really matters. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a big pot already. 1600, there's four people in the pot. Um, there is a draw there aside from my already, there's a, you know, a, a better draw than, than what I've already made. Um, and I, but I flopped pretty golden, um, with that. And as I'm, you know, trying hard not to show my delight, um, the small blind, the happy to be there player actually leads into this pot for 6,000 into the 16,000, um, which, you know, obviously a little surprising. Um, but what are you thinking at this point when that happens? Uh, well, I'm thinking a couple of things. Um, number one, you know, well, the, Obviously, the the biggest thing is how can I get as many chips yep. as possible. Yep. Um, so you know you have two two ways to go. You can just try and play just against this guy and try and get him to give you as many chips as possible, or you can invite you know the other people into the pot um, to try and get more chips that way. Um, your you know explanation of the player in the small blind, um, someone who's just happy to be there. Um, 
you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't want to bust probably is going to make more big folds than, than most people there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be scared to raise him because I'd be scared that he's going to fold, you know, King queen or maybe hero fold ace queen or, or, you know, whatever hands he might have. Right. Um, the only hands he's not folding are the draws because, you know, he wants to see if he gets there. Um, it's it's you know it's not going to be easy for him to fold the draw because he won't know if he got there. Right. Um, right. But I don't mind playing against his draw in position because you know you can you can see what comes and and play accordingly. Um, I I'm probably going to flat here most often mm-hmm. because we have an under the gun raise who could have a, a razor who could have a really strong hand. Um, and then a competent player that flatted him who could have a strong hand, but also, you know, with a, with a lead and a flat from the blinds, you know, kind of both sort of weak looking plays. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible that either one of them could make a big raise for value thinking that it's for value right. or, they, or they could make a move thinking that you guys both don't have great hands. Um, and especially, you know, first off the under the gun person who, you know, you said, pretty tight and probably has a big hand um if i flat here and he has aces or kings or ace queen or one of those hands i expect him to put in a huge raise or maybe even just shove right and you can just get a you know you can get a full double up um although if you raise he's probably not folding those hands anyway but you never know sometimes. Sometimes people surprise you, especially live, where you might just decide to fold an overpair. Just yeah, he might think there's definitely a set sense. there. You know, he might think there's definitely a set there or, or you know, a straight, you know, as, yes. as I did have. Yeah, yeah um, I've, asked, I've asked a lot of people about this hand, and I think it's split 50-50 between, you know, and I've asked like, good players like you, a lot, a lot of really good players about this hand. I think it's split 50-50 down the middle between raise and fold um and i think it's actually trending raise more. and flat sorry but yeah never folding <laughs> yeah. who are the people that told you to fold that's what i want to know <laughs> there's a fluff straw man <laughs> right, 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 right um I, actually i think it's probably trending more towards flat at this point for the for the reasons you mentioned um here's my thing and here's maybe a leak or you know something i think a lot of players struggle with there's a draw out there right and i hate to let draws get there um and I don't want to give draws free cards, but, you know, your explanation, it makes perfect sense, but it's a sort of a mental thing that I got where it's like, I'm going to, I got the best hand now and I want to get it all in right now. Um, and I don't want to have to fold a turn cause I, you know, my hand is so strong right now and I, I'm maybe not good enough to fold a turn or a river if, if that flush comes in. So maybe I'm a little afraid of the, of the draw right. coming in. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on that perspective and that line of thinking and how to combat that? Um, well, again, like I'd, I'd rather flat for a lot of reasons. And, you know, part of the reason is I don't necessarily even want to get it in against a plus draw here. Right. Um, even though I'm a huge favorite, you know, I, I try to take as much luck out of it as possible. Not, not that I don't want to get it in and, and get a full double up, but I don't want to, you know, have a bit of a race as well. I, yeah. you know, by calling in position, you could, you know, see what comes on the turn and if there's you know if there's no club on the turn then you can feel a lot more confident to try and get more chips in on that street with only one card to come right um but also like you know it's 16,000 in the middle and he bets 6,000 it's 22,000 um you know by 
you're only in, I guess, yourself for what, 9,500 out of your 7,500 if you call. Right. And then somehow, you know, a club comes and you're able to get away from the hand without putting any more chips in. Right. Um, like it's, it's, it's not that you have that much committed. Of course, there's a lot of money in the pot already and there's a lot of advantages to just taking down the pot. But when you have, it's not like you have two pair or even a set, like you have the stone cold nuts. Right. Um, so, I'm, you know, I, you don't, you don't want to play, I guess, scared isn't the right word, but right. you don't, you don't want to be afraid of, you know, what might come on the turn and river. You want to be thinking about maximizing your value. Right. And I think the opponent in the hand is very important, like in, in all three positions. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't want to make a, you know, an amateur who's happy to be there, make a big fold because I, I made a strong looking raise to his bet. Right. Um, I would try and be milking him as much as possible because he's probably not going to fold, um, like king, queen, or ace, queen if, if all he has to do is just call bets, um, as opposed to, you know, putting his, you know, his stack on, you know, at, at risk. Do you think, um, I mean, do you think this could ever be a set for him? Um, and if it is, you know, get raising will get him, make him get it in at this point? Yeah, um, I, I guess it, it doesn't seem like a set most of the time. Um, you know, again, like when you're playing with him for hours, you probably have a better idea, you know, what he's going to be doing with a set, whether he's slow playing or yeah. or just, you know, trying to protect or trying to get max value. But, you know, a lot of times people like amateurs don't know what they're going to do themselves. So yeah. sometimes they, yeah. they surprise you. Um, I don't think he leads out a set, to be honest here. I just from yeah. my read on him, I, I don't think he leads it out. Yeah. The guy you described loves the check raise sets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the recreational player. Well, I mean, you know, in, in, in all fairness, though, I mean, he wasn't the pre-flop raiser, so, you know, he's going to be scary when he leads out and he's, you know, he might miss some bets or, or whatever, you know, the, 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 the pre-flop raiser, you know, he could, you're probably going to get some, some C bets here a lot, a decent percent of the right. time. So, yeah, if he checks. Okay. All right. So, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of, I'm, I'm seeing more, I'm seeing probably mostly at this point, People agreeing with you, um, you know the best players that I'm asking. So, um, but I did raise. Um, I did make it seventeen thousand um, because I just thought that he's either super strong um, or will call with a flush draw, and right. I wasn't, you know, putting the game dynamic into place in terms of you know not building a big pot here against the draw. I was just hoping to. I was just hoping he would just jam on me, or the the guy with hopefully aces under the gun would would jam on me. Um, right. You know, I'm not sure he was good enough to fold aces or kings here. Yeah, like I think those those hands probably still put it in. Um, it just it unfortunately takes away any mobility they have to to make a move. Right. Um, which you know, I you know, I I always try and give people the the rope to hang themselves, right. and right. you know, um, so I I try not to take that away unless I have to. Like if it went, you know, if if it went check check. And under the gun bet, and the other guy flatted, and then the other guy flatted, or like you know, there comes a point where you have to. Right. There's always a point where you have to raise to, you know, to build a pot and to protect your hand. But in this case, I, I would try and give them a chance to, to put some money in the pot before I raise them up. But. Okay, fair enough. Um, so I did raise, and the other two guys folded, 
And, but then the small blind, the original razor or opener on this flop, um, actually just called. So he put right. another 11k in, and now we're going to flop a, with 50k. I'm sorry, we're going to turn with 50k in the pot. Um, you know, at this point, what do I got behind? I got about 60,000. A little less, I think. I got about yeah, 50, with the pre-flop, yeah. Yeah, I got about 55 or so. Um, and the turn is there's 50k in the pot, and the turn is a, is a complete blank. It's a four diamonds, um, and he checks to me, um, and then it's to me now with yeah. with, with my hand. What are, what are you thinking now? Okay, now again, it, it's it's opponent dependent. Like if I'm playing against a like a thinking player here who I know knows the size of the pot, um, I'm probably gonna shove to make my hand look weak and to try and get him, you know, to call with with a queen. Right. Um, this particular opponent, um, I don't think is. I think he's gonna hero fold the queen all day if I. If I just shove, you know, fifty-five thousand yeah. chips in the middle, right. and he's looking at his stack, and he only has um, what seventy thousand, he's thinking, "Geez, that will only leave me with with fifteen thousand. I'm almost out of the tournament. I don't want to bust yet, and I have all these chips to play with." And you know, it just he he just doesn't want to make that big call at that point. Right. Um, some sometimes he might, but I just I'm gonna just try and you know, milk him for what I can. Like, of course, the flush draw is a possibility. Um, and you want to, you know, protect your hand slash get value from his draw. But you also want to keep the pairs in. Right. If he's calling you with a queen, you don't want to bomb it and get right. him. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not worried about, um, like, pot size and stuff when I'm playing against an opponent that I don't think knows yeah. what the pot size is or what the proper you know, odds are and, you know, what he should be doing. He's just thinking about how much he has to call and how many chips he has and right. so on and so forth. So I'm probably going to just, you know, make a, you know, a, like even like a 15,000 chip bet is still a really big bet in comparison to the blinds. You're getting, you know, 10 big blinds from a right. from a turn bet, um, which is great value to your stack, but also, you know, allows you to bet, the, you know, another Twenty twenty five thousand on the river and to get paid off fully, um, but it also allows him to call without thinking that his tournament life's on the line. Right, right. Um, and you know, the other thing is if he does have a flush draw, and you raise them on the flop, and then you bet the turn. Um, a lot of these people, even if the flush hits on the river, they're going to check the river to you just because you've been the aggressor the whole time, and you you know you could even just be able to check behind the river if the flush comes and you if you're worried right. about that and you know you know you can decide at that point whether or not you want to value better or not right right hmm. okay um yeah that, that that makes sense i i did bet um and i went a little bit bigger than you recommend that i went to 20k um which you know is a little bigger than than you you recommended um close but not exactly where, right. where you said and, and I've gotten answers from 15 to 21, so probably a little high end of what you know the pros are. Yeah, the, the only like the just the mental aspect of going bigger than your turn bet, it makes him think that okay, how much is he going to bet on the river now? How much right. might have to call? And sometimes, you know, like if you same bet or if you bet a little bit less, um, maybe it looks like you're now pot controlling a queen, and maybe you'll check behind, or maybe you'll bet small on the river. Um, when you start escalating bets, then you know he might get worried about how much he's going to have to call on the river now, right. and he might just decide to get out on the turn. Right. Um, like in terms of you know protecting against a flush draw or getting value from a flush draw, um, I don't think it really matters 
you know, to your, like whether you get 15,000 or 21,000, it's not really a big difference. The, you know, the most important thing is to keep them in and to try and get the river value as well against right. the pairs or whatever else you might have. Right. Okay. So I, he does call the 20K bet. So now we're going to river with 90K in the pot. I mean, I got 35 at this point um, yeah. left and, you know, he's got me covered by a little bit. Um, and it's an awful card. It's the two of clubs. Yeah. Which, you know, really just this shit. <laughs> when I saw it, I was not happy. Now, now, quick question. Do you remember what you were doing when the river card was coming out? Were you watching the board or were you watching him? Um, I was watching the board. I was not yeah. watching him. That, that's, you know, that's a mistake that, yeah. that many people make. And, you know, sometimes I might make it too, but I'm always, I'm always constantly trying to look at the player. Um, again, it's just, to try and get anything you can, but also to not give away anything. If you're not looking at um, him, then you can't, you know, give away a towel by, by a scary looking card or your gin card or whatever else too. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure he didn't pick up any reads on me because the minute that board, that, that, that hit the flop, um, you know, he pretty much bet 20 K into that 90 K pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, that this is the crucial part of the hand, right? It's what the fuck. <laughs> um, like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want, I had, I had the straight and I should be like, okay, it's, it's a leak, but I want to double up here. <laughs> yeah. With my straight, right? It's like, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if yeah, you know, what, what I, what I would like to do in a perfect situation there is I'm looking at him as the river card coming is coming out. It comes out. I still haven't looked yet. He bets twenty thousand, and I'm able to say twenty thousand. Yeah. What did a club hit or something? <laughs> um, and you know, it, it's because really, like, what other card could he be leading out unless yeah. the board paired or or something? Um, I the the thing I've gotten better at is you know understanding that people will give away information if you let them or try to get it from them. And this guy who he said was happy to be there and talking about hands and, you know, kind of giving away a lot of stuff, how he satellited in. I think you have to give yourself the chance to, uh, to let him tell you if he has a flush or not, yeah. um, which sometimes he might, whether he says, I'm going to, I'll, I'll show it to you or, or whatever. And it's, it's really tough at this point though. Cause there's what a hundred and, 110,000 in there Yep, and you have to call 20,000. But yep. the tough part is, is it's, you know, over 50% of your stack, which puts you in a in a very, very uh, bad situation if you call and lose. I just can't imagine a, a more strength um, representative hand than what he uh, – uh, bet size, sorry, than what it's, he just did. He, yeah, especially when you're talking about a straightforward player who, yeah. you know, is just – you know, it's – it. there's not very many times that – that you have the best hand there. Yeah, and you know he's leave, then he leaves himself with what like 30k or something like, like it. Just it doesn't make any sense that he would bet there without a flush. It just doesn't. But you know, problem is I'm caught up in the moment. It's you know, it's stubbornly I kind of. I mean I'm not saying I don't want to let go because I, I I I you know I knocked it out on the on the flop, but it was very very tough um, mentally to to let myself lose this hand uh, right. without seeing it. it it's very, very tough to, to when you flop the nuts to, to give up on a hand. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. to your no. point, if I just talk to this guy, I am certain now looking back that he would have, he would have like, I would have known for sure he had the flush just, just if I waited 
20 seconds and just looked at him. Like, there's no yeah. doubt I would have gotten and that information. Again, it's just, you know, trying to separate your own emotions from the situation so that you could focus on theirs. Yeah. Um, now, you know, in a, in a, you know, to put this in a, you know, an online setting or whatever, um, you don't have that. So all you have is, you know, timing tells or, you know, and then, you know, betting lines and everything else, right? So you have to try and decipher the information from, from that, which is much different. Right. Um, you know, it's just figuring out, I guess, you know, if you, if you get really, really technical about it, it's about his range of hands and how many times you're good and then whether or not it, it, you're getting the right odds to call. Um, you know, that's probably, you know, I, I'm good at math, but, you know, I'm, it's probably not what I would do in this situation. I'm probably just going to try and make the best read possible and, and decide because the thing that doesn't work into the math is your tournament life right. and how much easier you can play and negotiate through the field with 35,000 chips than you can with, with 15,000 chips. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, um, if you make the determination that you're deep, then <laughs> you got to try and make the good fold and right. hope that he uh, shows it to you so you can sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know what? That's another thing too. I think he probably, he would have shown, you know, he was like a nice guy and we talked like a little bit, so he would have, he would have showed me the flush. Um, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, obviously, at this point, everyone listening should realize he had the flush. <laughs> From the we about. And, and we realize you called. Yeah, I, I called, got the flush, had 15K, and then, like, two hands later, I shoved um, ace-4 into ace-king, you know, from the button, right? So it's like yeah. that, that, that walk away is really tough because I was, you know, rolling for a little while. But, um, but yeah, you know, Mike, everything you said there, um, I learned a lot about live play, Um from this hand and the techniques that you talked about for, you know, and maybe not techniques, but the, you know, your, your thoughts on, you know, main, you know, if having an edge, um, you know, letting marginal stuff go, um, letting people make plays, uh, and, you know, not necessarily putting all my chips in there, um, against the flush drawer even, I mean, obviously we're not going to fold on the flop, but we're not looking to play these huge hands this deep in this soft of a tournament. Um, without, you know, on, on the flop at least. Um, you know, I learned a lot about that as well. So, so yeah, so, uh, and, and I think, uh, like I said, I've talked to a lot of people about this. Um, uh, not that many people said they, they fold, they could fold on the, on the river. Um, but I think you probably have the most live experience of anyone that I've talked to and, yeah. uh, everything, you know, that you pointed to really did, you know, was right when, when I think back to what was happening in the hand. So thank you for the analysis. <laughs> Pretty much spot on. So. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I guess we should uh, we should go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, you've been very generous with your time, Mike. So we want to let you get back to uh, what's left of the of the opening game of NFL season if it's still on. It might be uh, over by now, but don't tell me um, the score. I'm just going to uh, rewind and. Uh, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, it's the magic of VR. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we yeah, like I said, we definitely appreciate you taking some time out from your schedule and uh, and um, like we said at the beginning, welcome to the uh, to the TP family. It's really good to have you. Cool. Yeah, good to be here, and uh, no problem. Thank you, Mike. Awesome. Check out Mike's videos um, on the site, and also as we said, tournamentpokeredge.com slash coaching uh, to see uh, you know a little bit about what Mike uh, his, talks about in his coaching um, capabilities. Uh, definitely recommend them. A lot, lot of good value there. Great. So we will uh, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back to wrap things up on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast.
Welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Thanks once again to Mike Golis Leah for joining us on the podcast tonight. What a great uh, conversation. I know it was, it was long, but I think super valuable. Um, was, I hope, hope everybody perfect. out there finds it as good as we did. Yeah, I love this. I love the story and, and the, the analysis was fantastic. Really. Yeah, I think uh, it's really cool. You know, obviously in terms of this podcast, but also in terms of having him on the side, I think he brings a unique, a unique perspective in, in that he has played so much live, um, but has also had a ton of experience, obviously, online. And I, I just think he just brings a little bit of a different perspective and also plays a little bit of a different game than um, maybe some of the other guys on yeah. the site. Yeah, I tell you, I like, really cool. I like, you know, I'm, I think it, it'll be a little refinement, and I'm not sure I'm going to min raise at 1020 or, you know, or, or, or 1530. Um, my, maybe I will. I don't know. I'm, I'm still experimenting with it a little bit, but I definitely think the, the what he talked about with the min raise is very valid and it, it, you know completely completely um, beneficial to you uh, if you you know make sure you're playing as much as in, posi- in position, controlling pot sizes, and then gives you the option of when to make the pot big. Um, I think he's got he's really onto something there with that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know he. I think he said it a couple of times. I mean, obviously you have to find what works for you, and um, different things work for different people. But the great thing about having guys like him to learn from is that you can you can attempt to implement those things. And if it you know if it doesn't work for you, if you find that you're out of your comfort zone post flop or something, you can always readjust. But I definitely think it's worth people giving a shot. Right, and, and you know, see how it's part of it too is, you know, I'm not playing, you know. Two thousand dollars worth of buy-ins every night right now. You know, I'm playing much smaller than I was playing before. Um, you know, I don't necessarily feel like this role that I have is my life role. So um, I'm willing to experiment and play. Um, and since I'm playing less tables, I'm definitely just you know kind of working a new system in. So it's 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 a it's a good um, sort of tool to to bring into the arsenal. And I'm still refining it, but I think there's there's definitely something to the whole min raise even early on concept right. that he's that he's talking about. Yeah, I think one of the things for me that um, I kind of took from from talking to Mike was actually it got me excited to go play live poker again. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because <laughs> hearing him talk about that Foxwoods hand and yeah. and really kind of you know he literally stopped you a few times to ask about different players at the table and what was going on in the tournament at that time and just the way he thought about each individual person in the hand and the way he talked about looking at the player when the river came down like it really got my juices kind of flowing to, yeah. to get back to playing live again i'll tell you um, if if i was if if online you know majesty comes back in the next whatever couple of months which i know it's not but if when it does come back i'm going to seriously consider getting coaching from him i might even do it anyway just if i play more live i think i i really like the way he thinks about poker yeah yeah, definitely a smart guy. Well, it's not just him though that's coming to that that joint TPU, right? That's right. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about what uh, what's coming up on Tournament Poker Edge. Yeah, um, yeah, cool. So uh, we are rolling out a whole new set of pros. Um, <clears throat> we're expanding our geographic reach. Um, pros from Canada, UK, Australia, Latin markets eventually. Um, Several U.S. players who are relocated will be joining the team. Um, we're going to be joining. We're adding specialty type of players. So, you know, first up, you know, we've we've been introducing players already for a while. You know, we had Lee Childs join, Halo Wax joined. Um, so we've we've been starting to introduce, uh, and and uh, Bourbon for the win um, joined. Also very well yep. received. Um, but Mike has joined as well. His first series is up and been fantastically received. Um, but some other players. Um, uh, 
prominently Brendan Ruby, um, known as Brendor, um, an Australian player who is doing really well right now. Um, Scott wins in, in uh, full tilt Monday 1K, um, the Wednesday quarter million, and I think he's won two F-Tops events as well, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, pretty, that's phenomenal. Um, right, yeah. And his, his first videos are going up uh, soon. Um, we've added uh, Mark Alioto, who is a lock poker pro. Um, he plays under AZN All-In 007, and he is a double-or-nothing specialist. So we know that, you know, tournaments are not just multi-table tournament, large field multi-table tournaments. Um, there's money to be made in these specialty type of games. And so Mark is joining us uh, and he'll be specializing in double nothing tournaments. And he's actually going live, um, I believe, probably the same day this podcast is going up, which is the, the ninth um, yeah. source video. Yeah, he's a really, really cool guy too. I had an opportunity to um, actually sit um, on Skype and, and chat with him and, and Big Dog one night Um and to actually talk about double or nothings and, uh, and he just has a really interesting insight into those tournaments in particular and sit and goes in general. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I think he's gonna be a really solid addition as well and, and just a cool guy. Absolutely. Um, yep, yep. And so he's, uh, he's, he's starting up with us. Um, and then we have, uh, Danny N13, Danny Noseworthy, who is, um, a Canadian who is a specialist in turbos. Um, Super Turbo, Hyper Turbo, MTT Turbos. Uh, he specializes them in them all. He's got nearly 500,000 in winnings online. Um, he's got big scores in, in regular size, you know, 60K guarantees, 109s, nightly 70 grand. Um, but he's really a specialist in turbos, and he's going to be bringing some turbo analysis to, to the team as well. So um, more to come, uh, just the first couple new pros that are joining uh, yep. the team. Uh, so. Yeah, another really cool guy. I got to hang out with him a lot in Vegas. Yeah, uh, yeah. for he those was at who listen, party, right? <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. And for those who listen to the TPE live podcast, you'll know him as the guy we often refer to as Mario Kart. Yeah. So uh, if Why you're wondering, like, um, because his his first night in Vegas, he's from Newfoundland. So you know, he arrives in Vegas, and his first night, he loses eighteen hundred dollars playing Mario Kart uh, to huh. his to, to his roommates. So uh, we quickly. Uh, <laughs> re-nicknamed him Mario Kart. Unfortunately, he can't change his name online, so he has to remain Danny on 13. But to us, he'll always be Mario Kart. So <laughs> awesome. we're uh, we're stoked to have him on board. That is awesome. Yeah, he's uh, he's a good guy too. So um, so yeah. So there's a, a ton going on. Um, you know, we uh, we we are thrilled that all these guys are adding. TPE is growing, evolving, um, progressing, um, and we, you know, our catalog is already huge, and it's going to continue to get even bigger with these uh, this different variety and flavor. Um, and you'll always have us here, you know, sort of guiding the ship. Yep. Yeah, very excited, and and to all the members out there, I mean, obviously, give us your feedback, um, comment on the guys' videos, ask some questions, uh, but let us know what you're liking and what you want to see more of, because um, I think as people have seen in the past, you know, when when they request certain types of videos or different formats or whatever. We, tr- we try our best to deliver on that stuff. So um, just keep the feedback coming. We'll do the best to make TP the best, uh, the best training site we can. Absolutely. Right. So cool. Well, uh, I guess we can wrap this up. Um, want to thank everybody for listening. Once again, thanks to Mike for stopping in and uh, we'll be back uh, sooner than last time with Definitely. another episode of uh, the tournament poker edge podcast. Well, uh, you know what? Don't, don't promise anything because the hurricane season isn't over yet. Okay. Oh, that's true. I think we have another one rolling in right now, actually. Yeah, so please. 
please pray. Cross your fingers, folks. Pray for us. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll try not to be another month, though. We'll do our best. <laughs> right. Cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Can't believe